Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the book of Hebrews, reading there in the 10th chapter beginning at the 19th verse. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. Even though it is a rather dismal and foggy morning, I hope that all of us are glad to be in church at this time. And I'm sure as you came in, you were reminded that we are approaching Christmas because of the Christmas decorations that you see here in God's house. And as you know, today is the first Sunday in Advent. This Sunday also begins a new church year. If you looked on your calendar, there are four Sundays in Advent before Christmas. The word Advent means the coming one, and it refers to Christ as the coming one. And the idea of the Advent season in the Christian church is this, that we use it to prepare ourselves for Christmas, for the birthday of Jesus. And that's what we intend to do each of these four Sundays in the Advent season. And we're going to get ourselves ready for Christmas by asking this question each Sunday, what child is this? Who is this child who was born at Christmas, whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate? And today, in response to that question, we are turning to the Word of God, to the writer of the book of Hebrews, the one who wrote that New Testament book, to the Hebrew Christians. We are asking that writer, who is this child? What child is this? And his answer to us is this, don't you know who this child is? He tells us that he is the high priest over the house of God. He is no less than your high priest in heaven. He is none other than your high priest, worthy of your loyalty, worthy of your allegiance, worthy of your faithfulness. And we may say on this first Sunday in Advent, as we look at that babe, and we say, just because that babe is the high priest in heaven, that he is no less than our high priest, uh, does that mean that he is worthy of your love and mine, of our faithfulness, of our fidelity, of our being true to him, just because he is the high priest in heaven, your high priest and mine? We may say to ourselves as we look at this babe, granted that he is the high priest in heaven, what has he ever done for us? What is he doing for us now? We may say there is an eternal destiny awaiting us. What real lasting value has this babe as our high priest been to you and to me? And what good is he in your life and mine right now? These are good questions to be sure as we get ready to celebrate his birthday because if he has never met our eternal needs, if he doesn't have you and me in mind as our high priest, 
then we will say he is not deserving of our loyalty and of our fidelity and of our allegiance. But the writer of the book of Hebrews would remind you and me, you want to know what child this is? This child is no less than, again, the high priest in heaven. He is worthy of your love and of your loyalty because he has done everything that is necessary and still does everything that is necessary for your eternal good. He has left nothing undone. He has forgotten nothing as regards your eternal good. He has thought of everything. There isn't one thing, the writer of Hebrews would remind you and me this morning, that this babe, as our high priest, has forgotten for your eternal good and mine. And as you and I look at that this morning, you say, you mean to say that he, this babe of Bethlehem, is our high priest, that he has thought of everything for our eternal good, that there isn't one thing more that he could do for us as regards our needs and what he has done and that what he is doing now, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews would remind you and me of. For in the first place, it reminds us that this babe is no less than our high priest in heaven who came from heaven to this earth as our high priest and also as the lamb to be slain for our guilt and for our punishment. We stop a moment, we say, so what are our eternal needs? And you and I say, well, my eternal need is this. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm guilty in the sight of God. And I know, therefore, that because I am guilty, I am deserving of punishment. This is my first eternal need, then. I need to have somebody do something about my guilt, and I need to have somebody do something about the eternal punishment that I deserve because of my sins. And then you and I need to look at this babe and we say, and this is the babe who is no less than our high priest who came in order to do that. We may say, what do you mean, high priest? Bear in mind the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians, and if you go back to the Old Testament, you remember that their religion had to do with the high priest. Aaron was the first high priest, and the high priest's job was to offer sacrifices. He was to offer lambs. The blood of lambs and of goats was to be shed for the sins of the people. And the high priest was the one who went into the tabernacle or the temple. And once a year from the holy place, he would push aside the veil and go into the holy of holies with the blood of a lamb. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat for the sins, for the guilt, and for the eternal punishment of the people. He was the high priest who again would sacrifice the blood of lambs. You and I know that the blood of lambs and of goats does not take away sin, and so this was all figurative. As he went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and sprinkled the blood of an animal, it pointed to, again, God's lamb that would come, a greater high priest who would not only be high priest, but also would be the lamb. This babe, whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate, came into the world as our high priest, and he also came as the lamb. He was to be the lamb, and therefore he is the one. In order to come into the world, he came to take our guilt and our punishment on himself. And in that death on the cross, he bore it all and paid the bill in full. He took your guilt and mine and our eternal punishment of hell, and he bore it in its entirety on the cross. This, the great high priest, who also became the lamb, figurative as he was and pointed to in the Old Testament high priest and in the lambs that were slain. And therefore, he has thought of everything as regards your eternal destiny in mind because he is the one as our high priest who has brought us the eternal deliverance from hell and the joyous assurance of eternal life. He has thought of everything. He has not forgotten the thing. 
I can challenge you this morning. You tell me what more this babe of Bethlehem, coming as our high priest, could have done than what he did do on the cross. When again, he bought for you and me by his death, delivered from the eternal punishment of your soul and mine in hell, and the gift of eternal life for soul and body in heaven with him and with the saints of God. There is no greater gift no greater blessing. As far as the eternal values of his coming into the world, these are the ones because this child of Bethlehem, whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate, he is no less than our high priest. He is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of our allegiance. And on this first Sunday in Advent, as we're getting ready for Christmas, we ought to set ourselves up. I determine I'm going to give him my allegiance. I am going to give him my loyalty. I'm going to give him my fidelity because he is so worthy of it. A sense again, he has thought of everything. He has provided for my eternal good that I need not be lost, that if I put my faith in him as a gift from him and any man that believes in him, there is eternal life. And when you and I can say that I'm going to put my faith and loyalty in him, then we ought to determine this morning to thank him uh, that he came as our high priest, that he was willing. Oh, he was big enough to be our high priest because he was no less than God the Son, but he was also willing. He didn't have to come into this world at Christmas. He didn't have to humble himself and become a human being born of the Virgin Mary, but he came because he loved you and me that much. It was a willing coming. He came to die. This is the Christ whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate. He is that great high priest who certainly is deserving of our loyalty because he loved us that much, that gladly and willingly. He said, I will become the high priest. I will also become the lamb. And I will go into the world. And I will bear in my own body the iniquity of the entire human race. And when you and I can thank him for coming, then we're ready for Christmas because then we know the meaning of Christmas. What is it all about? Why all these preparations? Uh, what again does it mean as we turn again to Bethlehem and we say, what about this little babe? What is its meaning? The meaning is this. Here is our high priest who came to do something for you and me that no one else could do, to bring eternal life and everlasting salvation. This is the great supreme gift. He couldn't have done any more because heaven couldn't give us any more than that. And so we rejoice. And we thank God that as again the writer of Hebrews reminds the Jewish Christians, remember your high priest of old. People ask me sometimes, did the people of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, did they have a hope in eternal life beyond the grave? There are some today who are trying to say they didn't, that they didn't know about life beyond the grave, and they most certainly did. Every time the priest sacrificed the lamb in the Old Testament, every time the high priest went into the Holy of Holies with the blood of an animal, this was a reminder to the Old Testament Jew that there would come a Messiah who would be the great high priest who would offer himself that there might be eternal life. Thank God we have a high priest who held alive the hope of eternal life, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New. Then we're ready for Christmas. This is the first Sunday, and we're getting ready, we say, to celebrate Christmas. And we say, what child is this? We look into the manger. Uh, whose birthday is this? And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, don't you know, uh, this is your high priest in heaven. And you and I say, well, why should I be loyal? Why should I uh, give my allegiance to him? Uh, what has he ever done for me? What's he doing for me now, this babe, who is my high priest? And the writer of Hebrews would remind us that he, again, he has thought of everything. There isn't one thing that he has failed to provide for you and me. 
every need that we have for our eternal good. He has provided because the writer of Hebrews would remind us in the second place that this child is no less than our high priest, who again, he came into this world, not only again to bring eternal life and everlasting salvation, but again, he is the one who has gone to heaven, and we are told that he makes eternal intercession for us, so that from him there is a constant flow of forgiveness to you and to me. We may say, what are our needs? Isn't it this? We may say, well, I know that faith in Jesus Christ saves, but I know I've got a life to live. And you and I may say, and I know this, that I sin every day. You know it, and I know it, that all of us sin in ignorance every day. How many things are there that you and I do wrong every day that we're not aware of? How many things do we say that in the sight of God may be wrong, but our conscience doesn't bother us because, again, we are ignorant that it's wrong? How many of us do things every day or say things every day that we shouldn't say that are wrong in the sight of God? And we may say to ourselves, we need a high priest who can do something about that. We may say, supposing I die when I am doing something wrong, even though it's a sin of ignorance, uh, I can't keep saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I must say to myself, well, there, there must be some times when I sin in ignorance and I haven't asked for forgiveness. Uh, supposing I die in that moment, I need some help. And then we may say to ourselves, well, not only do I sin in ignorance every day, but I sin in weakness, that there are things that I do that are wrong that I don't want to do. There are times when I have thoughts in my mind that I don't want to have there. Supposing death would come, I can't keep saying, forgive, forgive, forgive. Even in, I may say, fall and don't get the give out and death may come. Uh, how about this? What does he do for me in this? And I may again become exasperated and I may lose my temper and not want to. I may say some unkind things to individuals when I didn't mean to do it. It might not be delivered and it doesn't have to be, but I may hurt individuals as you hurt people and as I hurt people. And we may say to ourselves, I need some kind of help for this. What does this high priest do for me then? Thank God this high priest in heaven tells us that he makes eternal, a continuous pleading for you and me at the throne of grace. You know what that means? That means that in this continuous, that there isn't one millionth of a second, but what he's pleading for you and me. There isn't the lapse of a millionth of a second. And therefore, there is a constant flow of forgiveness from him to you and me. There isn't one fifty millionth of a second in your life and mine as regards any sin of ignorance or any sin of weakness that we didn't intend to do. Even before we ask for forgiveness, it's like standing under Niagara Falls and having Niagara Falls, it never stops. Like standing under Niagara Falls, that by the time that you and I commit a sin of ignorance or a sin of weakness that we didn't intend to do, there is a constant flow of forgiveness that there isn't even one fifty millionth of a second in your life and mine when we are not saved. This is what he does. Can you think of anything any greater? And that means this, that this great high priest who pleads continuously, never stopping for one millionth of a second for you and me, he assures us that we are in grace. He assures us that we are ever in a saved relationship with him, whether we're asleep or whether we're awake, that he forgives us constantly, that forgiveness and sins of weakness and sins of ignorance, that goes together, never a gap of a millionth of a second, that we are always in grace. He has done everything. We are in grace. At the end of the day, we ask him to forgive us our sins of ignorance, 
Again, people may remind us that we never knew them. I know, again, I commit a lot of sins of being not aware of it until people remind me. And one of the greatest ways you've got to remind me is you stay away from church. And you let me find this thing. I said, what in the world have I done? And I search and I search and I search and I don't know. But I fry. And you stand there and you stew because it hurts. Because no one will say, thank God I've got a high priest who says you're forgiven, son, as fast as it comes. You're standing under Niagara forgiveness. You're in grace. And thank God you can say it too. We are in grace. And we ought to on this day, and we ought to say to ourselves, I'm getting ready for Christmas. I've got a high priest. And believe you me, there's a constant Niagara forgiveness coming. And therefore, we ought to say in gratefulness for the fact that he keeps us in grace. We ought to say, I'm going to show my thankfulness, as the writer of Hebrews says, provoking one another in love and in good works that we ought to again stir up one another to show our appreciation and love to our fellow men. And God knows this world needs love. And God knows, again, we need to be stirred up to good works and deeds of kindness and mercy to our fellow men. The world is dark, and this is the Advent season. And then the writer reminds us, and above all, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't stop going to church. You know, today, again, all we're reading is in the Christian church. Church attendance is on the slump. People aren't going to church. If there ever was a time when we as Christians ought to show our mettle, if there ever has been a time when we ought to say, count me in, it's now, again, when the world is in the uproar that it's in, that we ought to say, we're going to church. This is my witness to the world that I have a great high priest and that he's done everything, that I have peace of mind in him. Thank God in our drive we went over the top. Oh, there isn't much romance in buying a parking lot. I know that. But let me tell you this. We have told the community that we believe in going to church when we said we're going to pay that. And we believe in providing places to park. And we believe in asking our neighbor to come and say, here is something. Because church is vital. Here is where you and I come to hear of our great high priest. Here is where we come to know that all is well. Here is where we come to find peace of mind. When you can come, it's a beautiful thing. Have you ever realized that the center, that center window, this is the high priest Christ, right over again the cross, that you can sit in the stillness of God's sanctuary and you can say, there he is, my high priest, who again, who has thought of everything. There's in one thing that he's forgotten. And come in and we're ready for Christmas when again conscience no longer troubles and we can say, I stand under the Niagara of his forgiveness. I am always in grace regardless of what I do that I am not aware of, and whatever I do when I don't want to do it, and I do it in weakness, and he knows I didn't do it intentionally, I stand forgiven in spite of this world. This is the peace of Christmas. And then you and I are ready. But we say to ourselves this morning, uh, who is this child? What child is this? And the writer of Hebrews says, don't you know why this is none other than your high priest in heaven? He's worthy of your love. He's worthy of your fidelity. He's worthy of your allegiance because he has thought of everything, the writer would tell us. Everything as regards your eternal destiny and your eternal good. He hasn't forgotten one thing because the writer reminds us that he is no less than our high priest who again makes eternal continuous intercession for us so that in every temptation there is always strength to say no and he always gives us time to repent if we fall. We may say, well, what other needs do I have? I need to be saved, and I need to be in grace all the time. I need this Niagara. But we may say, what about temptations that come, the invitations to sin? 
because he makes eternal intercession for you and me, this high priest of ours. He says, I promise you this, there is no temptation to sin, no temptation to immorality, no temptation to worldliness, no temptation to drunkenness, no temptation to dope, no temptation to breaking up your home, no temptation to any kind of fornication. But what he says, because I'm pleading, I'll give you strength if you turn to me that you can say no. You'll never be tempted above the strength that I give you. And also, because of this eternal intercession, the high priest says, but if you do deliberately sin, I will pray and continue to pray that you've got time to repent. You and I may say, if again we have fallen from grace and temptation has taken us down the road of sin, we may say to ourselves, how does it come that God doesn't strike me dead on the spot? How does it come that he doesn't kill me just like that? Because we've got a high priest who says you need this. You need time to repent. He pleads with the Father and says, Father, don't cut that life off. Give him time. And this Jesus is the one again. He assures us that because he prays, if we do fall into deliberate and persistent sin, he assures us that he constantly offers his forgiveness until the time comes that we refuse to the point that he knows that it's hopeless, that we will never want forgiveness. We will never want pardon. What a high priest. He never stops offering forgiveness. He never stops saying, here is again, here is reinstatement. Never stops for the moment until the time comes when our hearts have been so hardened and we have done it deliberately that he knows we'll never want to come back. He knows that we don't want him. That's the only time that he stops. This is this high priest, this babe. And it ought to mean this, then, in your Christian life and mine. We'll have to say to ourselves on this first Sunday in Advent as we're getting ready for Christmas, again, I am determined if I have deliberately sinned and I have been persisting in sin, I am determined that today, while there is still time, today, while again, this is still my day of grace, that I'm going to stop trying to defend myself and I'm going to come to myself. If we have strayed from Jesus Christ and gone deliberately into our own way, if we are persisting in something that we know is wrong, whether it's immorality or drunkenness or dope or whatever it may be, you know, all of us are the same. When this thing happens, we defend ourselves. We again defend us, say, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it, and I don't want anybody to tell me that it's wrong. And then if mother and dad say something, we resent it. We say, get off my back. I don't want to hear it. Or if husband or wife say something to us that it's wrong, get off my back. I don't want to hear it. We defend ourselves. If our children say something, we defend ourselves and we say, I know it's wrong. And if somebody says, why don't you go talk to the minister? Let him give me a sermon. Now, it's rather strange when a man sins deliberately and persistently and he comes to the minister. He's rather surprised that he doesn't get a sermon. I've learned that long ago. You don't preach a sermon, but it's wrong. They know. He knows that before he comes. But you just sit and you listen. You just sit. And again, if some of us have wandered deliberately and willfully away from him, Let's this morning, let's just get them off our back and forget all those that are nagging us. And let's just sit down and look at our high priest. And let's just wait. And maybe in this mystery of coming to ourselves, we may say to ourselves, I'm not defending myself, but in doing that which I know is willfully wrong and in persisting it, I know I'm lost. 
This is the mystery that can come to any man who is deliberately sinless. I know I'm lost. And when we say we're lost and we look at our high priest, this is a dangerous moment. Because when a man admits he's lost by himself, and he's thrown off, stopping to defend himself, and he says, I'm lost, it's a dangerous thing because from that moment there's just a, the breath of a hair to turn to despair. Judas, you see, did that when he came to himself. When he forgot all the things that were said and he came to himself that he had done what he had done to the Lord. It was only, you see, it's only the breath of a hair that a man despairs. And Judas said, I'm lost. There, I can't go back. There's only one way to go and he turned, you see, the other way. And in despair, he took his own life. A friend, I don't want to preach at you this morning if you're in persistent and willful sin. You know that. But I'd like to tell you something. If you come to yourself, that you won't turn that one way that Judas turned and say that it's hopeless. I would like to remind you of the prodigal son. Remember... He went out and he really lived it up from A to Z. He went out and it was everything. There wasn't anything in the gamut of immorality that he didn't drink in. But he came to himself. He got rid of all the nagging of what everybody would say. He, he sat down and he looked at himself and he realized he was lost. There was one way to turn to take his life. And then the other thing was, well, if I, if I go back home, uh, what about it? What kind of a reception? No, he was in doubt. He said, I, I know this. If I go back home, my father will never claim me as his son again. I know that. He was sure of that. A lot of doubts and misgivings, you see. The best if I go home will be that he may make me as a servant. But friend, I'd like to say that, you see, he had a lot of doubts and misgivings when he came. It was dangerous, but I know he wasn't going to take his life. But so I, I'm going back. I don't know what kind of reception I'm going to get. I don't know what, again, my father's going to say. I know he'll never make me as his son again, but maybe I can be his servant. And he, he starts, I'd like to tell you, this great high priest whose birthday we're getting ready to celebrate, I see him in the father. But here, what this young man didn't know was, here was a father waiting standing on again the desert sands of Palestine. I've stood on those desert sands and believe you me, it's hot and it's blinding. But here was a father looking out over again the desert sand, hoping. And then there's an object in the distance. And the father wonders, who, who is it? And uh, the object comes closer, a man bedraggled and dirty and filthy and sinful. And the father goes up and he looks. And suddenly he begins to recognize who it is, he runs, and he grabs him, and he cries, my son, my son that was dead is alive again, my son that was lost is found. Friend, this is the kind of a reception you'll get. You'll get the ring, the clean clothing. This great high priest, that's the kind of a reception you get. It's in the mystery of coming to yourself. If in, again, that dangerous moment when you play with suicide, you wonder, can I come back? I've got a high priest in heaven 
who again is waiting, my son. This is your reception, and let me tell you, when you come back to him, and you make a full breast of it, restore the sonship you're ready for Christmas, because then you can gather with your family again and get down on your knees, and you can look down at the manger scene, and you can say, Oh, what child is this? Why, this child is no less than my high priest, no less than the high priest who, who calls and who has caused me to be saved a second time. And you can be ready for Christmas because you can gather with your family and you can look down at him and you can say, what a baby. You can look and you can smile and say, oh, Jesus, my high priest, how great thou art. Oh, how great thou art. Oh, how great thou art. That's Christmas. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.